Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. I'm not a betting guy, but for y'all that are, there's Bet Online. Bet Online, the fastest way and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Got the NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, MLB, NASCAR. It's summertime, but there's still lots of things going on. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website, betonline.ag, or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. up everybody welcome to another episode of believe in kentucky believe.com go straight to the site or anywhere you get your podcast my name is Vinny hardy we got another fun episode in store got a big time guest on here with us doing a little book promotion talking some hoops little nba playoffs we'll get to all that we are here with jake Fisher, who's got his first book in. He's written a lot for Bleacher Report as well as many other outlets. Man, Jake, how you doing today? I'm doing well, Vinny. Thank you for having me. This is uh, this is going to be fun. Man, like I was saying before, uh, before we started recording, I heard you on with Bill Ryder, CBS Sports Radio, uh, on with The Ringer tomorrow, making the rounds, getting this book promoted, man. So c- congratulations. Tell everybody about this big book that is getting promoted right now and, and let our listeners know, man. Yeah, well, you know, from about 2017 to right up until the, the pandemic hit, I was out at NBA arenas, shooters, practice facilities, talking to over 300 players, coaches, agents, and executives, and other people around the league to kind of find these new stories about Sam Hinkie's Sixers and the post big three Celtics in Boston and old Kobe's Lakers and the Sacramento Kings trying to build around DeMarcus and a bunch of other teams to kind of show like all these anecdotal histories of tanking when it became really popular, obviously around that 2014 draft when that was considered to be the best draft since 2003. And obviously it produced Joel Embiid an MVP candidate and Julius Randall, the most improved player of the year right now, an MVP candidate in his own right. So um, it was a really fascinating time period, and I, I think the original storytelling, there's a, there's a lot of Kentucky info in there we can touch on today. Um, so I, I think all the uh, all the reporting and new information is what people are definitely excited about and what I hope your listeners will be too. Absolutely. It's called Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever. So about seven years ago is, is kind of the – the line of demarcation you're saying? Yeah, I mean, I think the story kind of starts in 2012 and ends in 2016. In the book, like page one, I bring you right to the 2013 draft in Barclays Center at the green room where John Calipari is literally losing his mind as Nerlens has fallen from one to two all the way down to six where 
the Sixers ultimately you know, trade Drew Holiday to take New Orleans. But I, I, I think the storyline that's in the book, you know, there's a lot of backstories from 2012, you know, explaining the Celtics falling apart and explaining Philly trading for Andrew Bynum and why that, you know, pushed them into tanking, explaining the magic trading Dwight Howard away, explaining the Lakers while all these other teams were rebuilding the Lakers were steadfast in trying to build a contender again around the 36 year Kobe Bryant who had just torn his Achilles. Right. And they ended up having the worst record in a five year span from 2012 to 2017 in the entire league, worse than Philly, worse than Boston, worse than anybody. It was the Lakers, but all those other teams, they're not the Lakers. They can't just mess up and be bad for five years, still get LeBron and then trade those draft picks for Anthony Davis. So that's why the strategy is so prevalent in today's NBA. Because the the Lakers were down there with the Knicks. I mean, the Knicks have just been wallowing, and the Lakers sunk that far. And then, I mean, the Knicks are good this year, but like you said, the Lakers turned it right around and and yeah. pivoted with LeBron and AD. Because not everybody can do that. For sure. I mean, all these all these analytical executives. I mean, I think it stems with Daryl Morey, but you know, then you have Sam Presti and OKC, and obviously the Thunder drafted. Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, and James Harden three straight years and made the finals in 2012. Um, but I think all these guys, Rob Hennigan, Ryan McDonough, and, and GMs all over the league right now, they've all, they've all pretty much universally agreed, and the proof's in the pudding, to compete for a title, you need multiple all-stars. And if you're not a major market like Brooklyn or like Los Angeles, even Philly and Houston to a certain extent, as much as big as those cities are, like the Rockets, James Harden just requested a trade and now they're the worst team in the league. Philly, you know, they were never, they were perennially getting beat in the first round as a seven and eight seed. There's clear value in being bad on purpose to get a high lottery pick and hopefully get a high draft pick where you can draft guys like LeBron and AD and Joel Embiid and Zion Williamson. And this year we're seeing it now with this 2021 draft is considered to be the best draft since 2014, which we talked about in the book, which was considered to be the best draft in 2003. Oh, so when these, when these draft classes are stacked with, you know, prospects like Kate Cunningham down to Embiid, back to LeBron, Wade and Bosch, like teams clearly have shown that they will line up in the lottery to try and get a chance at drafting those guys. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Cause was, I heard you mention Houston, which is fourth biggest market in the country. And yet, they're down there doing the same thing as an OKC and, and, and then not even really hiding it. Yeah. I mean, Houston had no other option. That's kind of also an interesting through line with the book as well, being that I, I think, and I've, I've talked to executives in the NBA who agree with me, teams willing to do what Philly did, let's say, and be bad on purpose for three straight years just to get a guy like Joel Embiid. How does that not then – convince Joel Embiid how much power and agency he has in the NBA. He's so valuable. You're going to, that they're going to punt multiple years just to attain him. Like that, that, that props up these guys to one day be like James Harden and be like Anthony Davis and Carmelo Anthony and Kevin Love and Dwight Howard and Chris Paul. All there's a whole history of guys saying, you know what? I don't want to play here anymore. Harden did it in OKC too, before he got to Houston. So, you know, it, it's a really perilous strategy to stockpile these guys because at the end of the day personalities matter um building complementary rosters around them matter um but the most clear starting point is to get those guys even if they have the flight risk like we just talked about 
you know, the, the Rockets still had eight years of Harden and they almost made the finals. And, you know, those people with the team still say they probably should have won that year that Chris Paul hurt his hamstring. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's definitely fascinating how these guys are just kind of running the NBA at this point. Yeah. And as a, as a Rockets fan, I saw the, saw the, the high and the low, the, the crescendo with Harden coming and oh my goodness. And that ride, it was a fun ride, you know, playing style aside, ISO ball aside, yeah. you know, you, you're right there with the Warriors and your, your best shot at trying to do it. And now we see the, the peak and the crash landing now with when you win 17 games or whatever it was this year. For sure. I mean, the, even before that, the Dwight Howard signing, right? Like that was the whole, that's the whole uh, part of taking as well, like to get an all-star to come sign with you in free agency it's a lot easier when you already have an all-star on your roster, but I, I have some great reporting in the book where, you know, Chandler Parsons pretty much told me straight up that he's the reason why Dwight Howard signed with the Lakers. He was driving to Dwight Howard's off-season home in the Beverly Hills and hanging out with him and texting and FaceTiming him and calling him. He switched agents to be represented by Dan Fagan, who was representing Dwight Howard at the time. Um, and he, he told me that he almost did it as a favor to Daryl Morey and the Rockets. Um, and then obviously, you know, he leaves for, for Dallas the next year in free agency. Um, but it's really interesting how a lot of the league is just big game hunting now and trying to, to stockpile your roster and make it. It's kind of like I'm in a fantasy football uh, dynasty draft going on right now. It's been going on all week. And, um, you know, we're making trades and trying to do all this crazy stuff to, to, to compete for this, like, $1,200 pot, you know. Mm-hmm. They're competing for a championship and legacy and history and millions of dollars that comes with that. So I can only imagine how, you know, the competitive draw is, you know, amongst those types of guys. For sure. And I'm, I'm definitely going to get back to the book and some of the Kentucky references, but speak, you just mentioned legacy. Is Kawhi Leonard's legacy going to be the most convoluted legacy ever? I mean, you're a, a multiple time champ and now you go to the Clippers and, the Clippers are the Clippers and they just, they just pull you down to what they have been. So at the end of the day, I mean, can Kawhi rub the Clipper off of him and say, look what I was before that? Or is what kind of legacy is he going to have when it's all said and done? It's interesting. He's still pretty young. So I don't know necessarily where he, where his legacy at the end of the day will stand. Obviously, the Clippers are in a two hole, two hole right now, but who's to say that they don't win this series? And maybe that was a wake up call they needed, and they rallied together and they win the title this year. You know, like who's to say? Um, but obviously, it's trending like they're not heading that direction, and he can test free agency, and maybe he just leaves and goes somewhere else. I mean, the Knicks would love to have him. You know, any, there's a bunch of teams that have set themselves up to get max cap space this summer. Um, and of all those teams, the only real one that the only real ones that have a, a real path to get to get money for Kawhi that, that I think Kawhi would go to are the Knicks and the Heat. So mm-hmm. it doesn't have that many options, but well, maybe there's a sign and trade type thing. That's how Kyle, that's kind of how Kyle Lowry would have to get out of Toronto if he wants to go to a good contender. Um, but maybe Kyle Lowry goes to the Clippers and he rejoins Kawhi and they're back, you know, competing for the title next year. I, I don't know where his legacy stands, but when you win two titles um, in two small markets, obviously it's been a theme of our conversation. And he pretty, I mean, they had a pretty good team in Toronto, but 
he put the team on his back. He, yeah. he didn't single-handedly do it, but he, he was the, the obvious driving force to win that title. So, you know, kudos to him for, for winning two championships with two teams and winning finals MVP with two different organizations. Absolutely. And, of course, you mentioned, you know, kind of the line demarcation 2012 to 2014 as the, the foundation for Built to Lose. But going, going back to the Clippers and for all of our lifetime and, you know, even me being older than you, they were just struggling, couldn't get in their own way. The late, great Elgin Baylor was the GM. Donald Sterling and all the baggage that came with his ownership they were, I mean, we talk about tanking now, but they were perennially getting top draft picks, perennially mm-hmm. having horrible seasons over and over and over again. You know, Terry DeHair, Olua Candy, you know, all of these picks that happened pre-2012, pre-built to lose era. What what yeah. was really going on there? Well, Donald Sterling was, I believe, the first person ever to be fined by the NBA for talking about tanking. Um, and it's interesting, there's a really fascinating through line where in, in 1984, flashback to that draft almost 30 years ago now, almost 40 years ago now, excuse me, well over 30 years ago. Um, you go, that, that was the very first year that David Stern took over as commissioner. And that was the year that the San Diego Clippers were the worst team in the West for a while. And um, at the time, the draft, there was no lottery. The number one pick was simply a coin flip between the worst team in the West and the worst team in the East. And then everyone seeded on from there. The Clippers had that inside track at number one, but that pick actually was due to Philly from an earlier trade. And the Rockets, seeing Hakeem Olajuwon at nearby Houston College, they tanked past the Clippers. They lost 16 of their last 21 games to pass the Clippers and land Hakeem Olajuwon, where Philly falls down to five and takes Charles Barkley. So it's pretty interesting where you flash forward 30 years to 2014 when Adam Silver takes over for for David Stern. He inherits Sam Hinkie's Sixers on their tanking issue, and then they go and institute the lottery form. Because 1984 is what made David Stern put together the lottery, which created the, the Patrick Ewing frozen envelope in 1985. So that, you know, dynamic, I also thought was pretty, uh, was pretty cool. And I know you said that you're in Brooklyn now, I think. So, and you just basically said frozen envelope, like it's stated fact. You just, you just roll with that. Not potentially frozen envelope. Your thoughts that is that envelope was ice cold, right? So, if you watch the video on YouTube, which I'm sure a lot of people have, if you look at it, and I wrote this in the book, Stern drops in the first two envelopes into this big metal orb, right? Where kind of like you like a pink like a like a big go ball old time machine. And there's a metal rod that goes through the center of this orb. And the first two just fall right to the bottom. The third dings off of that bar and falls into the orb. And as then David Stern rolls the thing around, you can see him fishing a hand in there and he picks up like two or three envelopes and he kind of is feeling around. And it seems like to me that the, the envelope dinging against that thing, the frozen moment as it's sitting there on that rod, to me, it's so obvious, it really is. <laughs> and he was on the record, you know, flash forward to 2007 saying that he wanted 
you know, big markets to get the top two picks on the Kevin Durant, uh, Greg Oden draft. He was mortified that, that, that Seattle and Portland are picking one to, uh, you know, two and one or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I, I definitely think that he did what he could to get Patrick Ewing to the next. Absolutely. So when Nate McMillan gets fined, he's what well, he's got to be like, what, what did I say that was so <laughs> out of line? <laughs> this has been the theme forever when he, he basically said, you know, the league wants New York to win it. He's like, I didn't say anything that blatant. <laughs> Listen, the league was really happy that it was Lakers Warriors in the playing tournament. You know, they're, uh, they put on Philly is the number one seed in the East, right? This tanking team that's been a huge talking point all year long. Tonight, they're playing on NBA TV while the Knicks and the Hawks play on national TV. That's right. all you need to know. <laughs> to bring it back to, you know, Kentucky, who had their worst season in 100 years last year, 9-16, and 16, and, and they bumped like LSU and Alabama, the yeah. two best teams in the SEC, and it was like Kentucky and, I don't know, Mississippi State or somebody because yeah. just because of the draw. Same exact – Obviously, Cal's done a great job of, of revitalizing that program. I think they're, I think John, I think Cal himself, but also Kentucky overall, is a huge footnote of the modern NBA. Where, I mean, they were the super teams before super teams really started happening again in the, in the league, right? Like, it's just, um, and he prepares those guys to be pros. He's one of the most influential people in the NBA, where he, you know, talks to Devin Booker and Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Davis and Julius Randle and DeMarcus Cousins like regularly. And he, he just kind of is one of those shadow figures in the NBA. Maybe he's not even a shadow, but I think when people think about John Calipari, they don't necessarily consider how much influence his recruiting, his decision-making, his conversations actually does, you know, play a factor. Um, I mean, I know when the Timberwolves are picking number one in 2015, he was having a lot of conversations with, um, Flip Saunders um, about taking Carlton Towns versus Joel Okafor. So he's definitely a really big um, just person in the whole NBA basketball ecosystem. It's, it's amazing to see. It really is. And you think that the Timberwolves might be positioning themselves to kind of get back to being more relevant than they have been the past few years, as long as Cat stick, sticks around, right? Yeah, the 2024, when his contract expires, is definitely um, is definitely uh, a doomsday date that you know people in Minnesota talk about. But they have Anthony Edwards now, and D'Angelo Russell, and Malik Beasley, and a bunch of other guys that are pretty young and exciting. And they could get another top pick here. And Chris Finch, I think, is a really brilliant offensive mind. They played a lot better down the stretch, probably to some Timberwolves fans' chagrin. Um, so it's been I, I think, you know, with a little luck here and there, a couple of things break the right way. I think the Timberwolves could absolutely be right back in the postseason playing conversation. I'm not saying they're going to be like hosting a, a first round series, but why couldn't they be like where New Orleans was this year, right on the cusp of making the playing tournament or, you know, right where Memphis is, a, a, a plucky eight seed. And they got two all-stars already in Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo. Obviously the, the, the defense is questionable, but, I, th I think they've got a lot of firepower that they can build with here moving forward. And I'm excited to see what they can turn it into. Jake L. Fisher on Twitter, built to lose how the NBA's tanking era changed the league forever. Now, 
whet our listeners' appetite. Don't don't give too much weight. Do what you want. It's your book. But what give us some of the Kentucky references that are in the book that that UK fans would would definitely perk up and, and maybe go to those chapters first. Yeah, uh, in in the book. Well, like I said at the top, that 2013 scene with Nerlens. I mean, I've got every detail possible from Nerlens's people, you know, refusing to have him visit with any team below number two. So when he doesn't go to Cleveland at one, he doesn't go to Orlando at two. You know, the Cavs obviously took Anthony Bennett. The Magic took Victor Oladipo. The next couple teams didn't really have confidence in taking him because the kid had torn his ACL and they had no information on him at all. And that was a strategy his agents were trying to do to propel him up into the top two. It backfired. And Cal Party losing his mind is a really, you know, funny detail as that's happening. But you spin it forward to Nerlens' fresh rookie year at um, with, with, with the Sixers in Philadelphia. It was a really tough time. I mean, Todd Lancer, who I think every Kentucky fan knows of now, the, the, he was a longtime walk-on there, big uh, Lexington personality. He told me how, how tough it was for Nerlens. Um, and he would show up late to training sessions and, and medical type stuff. And the Sixers ended up considering you know, hiring literally like a full-time babysitter for him. Like they, even his agency, the agency were controlling where he were trying to control where he went, they would try to get him for a commercial and they wouldn't know where he was. He wouldn't answer his phone. They'd go to his house and they'd find literal feces in the toilet just for weeks. Like they didn't clean his house. They, it, it was it was it was a troubling time I think for him and um, you know obviously that's why Cal's so involved with these guys he needs them to keep propping up the brand right um, but I mean I'm happy that Nerland he seems like a good guy overall I am happy he's he's found his footing with the Knicks right now and seems to have carved out a pretty good career but you spin it forward to 2015 obviously we talked about Carlton Towns versus Jaw at the top um, Devin Booker obviously goes number 13 to Phoenix and he's, you know, an all-star right now leading this team toe to toe against LeBron's Lakers. And the Suns never thought Devin Booker would be the, the superstar to, to, to take them to this, you know, this next echelon, but you got to give him credit for drafting at 13, but they were only able to draft him at 13 because now John Calipari first told me, he said, you know, Devin, there's, there's one team we didn't want to work out for that year. I said, well, can you tell me who it is? He's like, no, nah, I don't want to say. Like, you can ask him. So the Suns came to New York before the pandemic happened. I was at shoot-around Madison Square Garden. There's Devin Booker sitting courtside by himself pretty much. So I just walked up to him, started talking to him. I said, you know, by the way, like, Cal told me he didn't want to work out for anybody. Like, who was the team? He said, oh, it was Utah, number 12. Like, I didn't want to go to Utah. <laughs> and, I mean, obviously the Jazz are there right now a game and a half above the Suns for the best team in, in the league. But you know, that, that's why Devin Booker is in Phoenix right now. He, he probably would have gone to Utah if, if he was interested in going there. So it's just interesting how those little pivot points in, in history kind of shape a whole franchise. And now Devin Booker is obviously a two-time all-star leading them where they are. So um, mm-hmm. those are some pretty interesting Kentucky details. And if it's, they definitely are. They definitely are. So y'all definitely get the book. I saw you tweeted out that, you know, uh, people tweet you a copy or a screenshot of the book that they purchased. You got all kind of swag you were giving away, like Moses Malone jerseys, yeah, Nintendo Magic stuff. Is that is that still in effect? If people tweet at J.K.L. Fisher a copy of the receipt, 
are they yeah. in line or eligible for the giveaways you got going on or unfortunately no longer eligible but okay. um it definitely it definitely had some cool excitement yeah it has signed moses signed mo cheeks signed Igadala, some old stuff from I mean, i'm from philly originally so okay that I, I, my family acquired from season ticket holder type stuff and free giveaways and whatnot but um, I had some really cool jerseys too from from my youth that I don't wear anymore. So I figured, you know, might as well put them up for auction and, and try to generate some some interest. So it, it seemed it seemed to people responded to it pretty well. I bet they did. Now I had hoped to have, you know, be popping up with the copy of the book myself. It is on its way. This is, I mean, it's a receipt. I got an email from <laughs> Triumph Books, you know, shopping with us. So that. Uh, I got my copy ordered and, and definitely looking forward to reading it, Jake. Hate I don't have it now while you're on, but probably, it'll probably come tomorrow, knowing my luck. But <laughs> yeah. All right. I appreciate I appreciate the support for sure. And it, while we're talking about buying it and and uh, you know, promotional stuff, you know, our friends at Lot Terrain watches. Um, you know, with every watch sold, you get a free copy of the book. So if you're looking to Get your hands on the book and also some nice uh accessories that's a great uh, a great opportunity as well absolutely man those dudes at la terrain man they are they are getting out there partnered up with you you know so everybody we talk about them every week on the podcast they sponsor the podcast dave and ben have been so good with us so go get your your, your navigator your compass whatever type whatever color whatever band you want you get a watch, you get a copy of Born to Lose. Dave, a new father, got a new young son, but still out there getting it done. Ben, making sure everybody gets their orders. BBN, y'all already know, because we talk about it every week. Now you got another reason to go check them out. Get a copy of Jake's book, Born, Built to, Built to Lose. I'm sorry. Yeah, how, the to, how the NBA's tank mirror changed the league forever. It's a mouthful. It's a mouthful. It is, but it's, but it's got, but I mean, it's still, you know, built to lose and you got it scratched out, winning and scratched out and you got lose. And then you go right into, you know, the tanking and everybody, despite the league trying to deter this kind of stuff, you're trying exactly. to, hey, look guys, don't, exactly. you know, they're just blowing right through the stop signs and, and doing it anyway. Yeah. I mean, I, the title says, you know, how it changed the league forever. I mean, part of that is it, instituted you know lottery reform and, and, and played a huge factor in the playing tournament that you know it has, has changed the central fabric of the league and even still we're still seeing teams like OKC and Houston and Orlando and Detroit even though the worst team no longer has a 25% chance your Rockets would have been had a 25% chance now they only have a 14% chance yeah. but they're still guaranteed a top five pick because the lowest they can go is five after those first drawings so in, in a five-player draft that's what everyone's considering this draft, right? It's Kate Cunningham, Jalen Green, Evan Mobley, Kaminga, um, and Jalen Suggs. So if you're in the if you're if you're five, you're guaranteed one of those guys. Of course, there's benefits to Houston still being bad, even if they only have a 25% chance, or even if they only have a 14% chance versus 25. So I agree. I think as much as it changed the fabric of the league, and I think it's going to influence them to partially. Play, play a factor in instituting a midseason tournament type deal. Um, we're still going to see teams play the lottery because we, everything we talked about so far, it's just so important to get these type of all-stars. And, and the most direct way to get them is through the draft. Now, what about the, I don't know, is it, is it micro tanking or tanking for seeding where 
you know, uh, Denver maybe loses the last regular season game to where they can get Portland. The Clippers, you know, tank down the stretch based on where they are now, thinking they're going to get the Lakers, you know, in the second round of conference finals. And, you know, who knows they even get past Dallas. What do you think about the tanking within the tanking for teams that are contending? I mean, we know that they can't stop Houston and, and Orlando. And like you mentioned, the, yeah. those protocols. What do you what do you think about that little micro tanking that goes on? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I kind of respect it. At a certain point, though, you got to back it up, right? Yeah. Like the Clippers tanking to get this Mavericks matchup. You know, you got to win. Um, it, it It's tough. Like, it's bad for the NBA's product. Like, obviously, those couple of games the Clippers lost down the stretch, like, they weren't trying to win. And that's bad for the NBA's business. That's the other thing here. Like, it is a conundrum. As much as tanking and team building and all this stuff we're talking about is great to boost the NBA as a news entity and to try to, you know, have an 11th month cycle where fans are photoshopping every superstar into their team's jerseys. It, it's the value of the regular season. But I think at the end of the day, these guys are trying to win the title, right? So if the Clippers are doing that to try to create their best path, why not? I mean, Philly, they have clearly the best and you know, the most direct route to the conference finals of any team in the league, being that they have this Wizards team now, then they'll get the Knicks and Hawks and the Nets and the Bucks have to battle through each other to just get to Philly in the conference finals, let alone get to the finals. So, ooh, excuse me. <laughs> so if you can, uh, if you can do anything differently, right. If you can lose a, lose a game or so to do what you can to get your most direct path to the finals, why not? <laughs> <laughs> that's make That's true. That's true. So growing up in Philly, You've always been a Sixers fan, an AI guy, or following the Sixers, or did you did you branch out and root for somebody else? Yeah, I'm not a Sixers fan anymore. I think I, I cover the NBA now, and it's just kind of what it is. Like, I, I have friends in every front office pretty much and coaching staffs, and I want everyone to be successful, and I want the narrative that is best for my stories or my book to be successful, you know? Mm -hmm. Um but I definitely grew up a diehard Sixers fan. I, I had a complicated relationship with Allen Iverson, um, not mm. personally, but like my thoughts on him. Because, I mean, he's the antithesis of this new era of basketball, right? He wasn't efficient. Um, he definitely had a, a larger-than-life personality that was hard to coexist with some people. But as I've, as I've grown, grown older, I have his jersey hanging up right here in my, in my room. I've come to respect, you know, what it takes. Like, it's very hard for someone to take that mantle and say, I'm your franchise guy. Like, I'm, put me on the marquee, have everything fall on my shoulders, get the ball in my hands. I'm bringing you to the championship. And they didn't win the title, but what he did in 01 was really impressive. And I don't think that um, – I, I, I really have a lot of respect for what he did night after night after night for that team. I think it's – especially at six foot, 180 pounds, whatever he was, like the guy was an incredible, incredible athlete. And to be the focal point of every opposing defense on that team mm -hmm. that was so offensively challenged, like I know I mean, what him. <laughs> Snow and McKee would hit shots every now and then. Matumbo was a defensive guy, Tyrone Hill, Theo Rattler. He was, I mean, dude, it was, and they stole that first game against the Lakers. I look, I 
that I'm, guy him comes off the bench and hits 12, 12 points, those mid-range jumpers. That's yeah. all they had. Yeah. Matt Tiger and AI against Kobe and Shaq. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I mean, I'm I'm not like you covering the league, so I can still hate the Lakers, and you know, because you you know you love them or hate them. So I've always grown up as a kid in the '80s. They were in the finals every year, so I've had that Lakers Celtic fatigue. Wanted to see somebody else get in there. So for him, they didn't win it, like you said, but to still game one, you know, to step over Tyron Lue to just put them on his back and get that first game, that was that's still incredible. All these years later, and LeBron gets all this credit for you know carving a public image and never really getting into a scandal or anything like that. I give AI a lot of credit for coming out of the hurricane. I mean, obviously he still has his struggles like everybody else, but to have gone through that and to be under the microscope and have your outfits nitpicked and your tattoos nitpicked and pretty much, I mean, I think a lot of David Stern's dress code was targeted at AI. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a lot of guys started dressing like him. I mean, they dressed like that when they weren't going to work. Right, but because AI was doing it and didn't care, I mean, a lot of guys felt I can do this too. Yeah. Um, so for what he did on the court, but also at the same time handling all that off of it, remarkable. He's just a he's a larger than life figure, a Hall of Famer through and through. Absolutely, for sure, for sure. Now, being that I haven't been to Philadelphia, that's one of the cities I have not been to. As the the tourist or the perception, you I always hear it's it's Pat's or Geno's. What do the true locals go for the cheesesteaks? Because, you know, we, I'm sure there's some place where y'all are like, man, forget both of them. For sure. We need to go over here. <laughs> sure. Jim's on South Street's a good one. Um, I really love D'Alessandro's. If you're looking for just like the classic cheesesteak, Wizwit, D'Alessandro's is probably my, my pick. But there's one called Woodrow's on South Street, too. But they have, their Wiz is a four cheese blend. And it is phenomenal. Woodrow's is definitely, I think, like my favorite. If you want us like the classic, Alessandro's is, is my go-to for sure. Cool deal. See, I appreciate that that insight. You know, we would just go to, well, all I know is Pat's Regino's, and you know, that's that, that's that's where the tourist in me would go. But I want to go where y'all go to. to Cause y'all really know what's going on in the pulse of the city and all that. Uh, are you a Phillies and Eagles guy too? Were you true Philly all the way? I'm definitely a big Eagles fan. The Phillies baseball, it's been tough for me to get into the last couple of years. Um, but, yeah, when they do well, um, I mean, Aaron Nola is a nice young prospect. Uh, not prospect. He's obviously our ace now. Um, got, you know, Bryce Harper now and J.T. Ramuto. Like, I, I, I stay I stay apprised on what's happening. But the Eagles are definitely my team. I, I feel like losing my Sixers fandom for the job, like the Eagles support, I think has only increased. Like I flew to Minneapolis for the Super Bowl with my brother. Oh my goodness. Um, it was amazing. And uh, I, I try to go to a couple of road games a year. I've been to, I, I, I followed them to Green Bay and to Dallas and to Miami and um, to New England. And I've gone to every NFC East rival stadium. So um, I'm definitely I love the, I love the birds. I'm going to. They're playing Denver this year in November. I'm trying to get to that game. So, yeah. so as a as a Brazen Cowboys fan, um, that Eastern Division rivalry will will have to be oil and water on that. But it's still always fun to have that back and forth. The, the NFC East is unlike any other division. You know the the history, the success. Everybody's won a title now. Now that your Eagles have one, so you know. <laughs> 
and look, like 25% of all the Super Bowls. February 4th, 2018. It will live forever. I, I can, yeah, yeah. And like 25% of the Super Bowls are in the NFC East, that one division. That is, really? Pretty much. There's the Cowboys have five, Giants have four, Washington football team has three, the Eagles have one. So that is 13 out of, it's been 53, 54 Super Bowls. Yeah. So all right. I'll that, take. That's a prestigious division. No yeah. other division can say that. I mean, the Steelers have a lot, but nobody else does in that division. 49ers have a lot. Nobody else does in that division. So this, yeah. this division historically has been, in my opinion, the most successful in NFL history. Well, it was the worst in the league this last year. So hopefully we can yeah. Uh, yeah. turn yeah. it back around. <laughs> Gotta, we gotta own that too. It, it was, it was trash last year. We, <laughs> for sure. Well, man, Jake built to lose. How the NBA's tanking era changed the league forever. Go to Triumph Books and get it. Where else can can listeners go and get it? You can get it anywhere books are sold. Amazon, Bookshop.org. If you want to support a local bookseller, Barnes and Noble, uh, Poetry Triumph, like you said. And yeah, if you if you if you want to get a watch with lots of rain. Um, you get a free copy of the book too. So get your navigator, get your compass, do what you got. And uh, I, I promise, I mean, the stuff we talked about today, only the tip of the iceberg. There's 300 pages of, of the book that every single page is loaded with new information that you're not going to find anywhere else. Well, man, con- congratulations on all the success. What's the reaction been from, I mean, I've seen people tweeting at you that they have it, but what's the, what's the reaction you know, as you go around promoting it, and now that it's out and people are getting yeah. it, what's, what's been the the, bur- the buzz that you've been hearing about it? Well, the reporting I've talked about, I mean, I talked to over 300 people. That, that's been the big response. Everyone's talked about the detail and how meticulous it's been and how much they've learned from it, which is, which is honestly, that means everything to me. The fact that people have picked up on how much effort and conversations and information went into framing that narrative arc and building out these characters and telling a story. Um, it's been nice that that's been received. So that's, uh, that was, just, that was part of my pitch right before you asked that question, right? So the fact that people are, are, are seeing that and appreciating it definitely means the world. Well, good stuff. Even though the, the giveaway is over, I'll still tweet my copy when I get it. That way you, yeah. it'll be right there in that thread that I have my copy of Built to Lose as well. Appreciate you taking the time to hop on. Continued success. Okay. on this book and then your other projects as well and look one, one last thing too i'm sorry I, I keep like i'm wrapping it up what was it like writing for slam because you did that as well because that you know si was cool but in the 90s you got slam and lang whitaker and russ bingston and all yeah. those the whole vibe was different so what was it like when you got to write for for slam yeah, i mean i grew up free and slam religiously and when, when that copy would come in the mail every month i would read it front to back until I fell asleep that first night and then I would do it over and over and over again until the next one came so uh, through some mutual contacts I got in touch with Lang when I was a freshman in college and intern there and I wrote for them for three four years it was incredible to, to see how many doors open when you said slam and how the players responded to it and the history of it like to see my name and my byline in that magazine that I've been growing up reading it was it was amazing, yeah. And there's still a lot of slam connections to this day. When you, when you see somebody who uh, who was there, they call it the slam fam. Um, you worked in the slam dome uh, yeah. when, you, when you were there. You know, you were there, and 
it's a cool little fraternity to be a part of. I'm definitely I'm honored to be to be one of them. One of the one of the small. I'm definitely, you know, in fraternities you got the paddles and the big brother, little brother. I'm towards the bottom of the totem pole, but uh, you know, because I, I I was only there for a couple of years and then I went to SI, but um, it was awesome. I I I I I owe my career to those guys. I definitely it got it got my start and uh, I'm. I'm forever grateful for, for the, the chances I had right in there. Yeah, man, I appreciate you responding to that. I knew I wanted to, to ask you about that. Look, Scoop Jackson, too, and uh, the, the yeah. slam of the month, the the smack, all of it. Oh, you just read every single word, the, the kick section, all of that. So, look, I mean, you already know what I'm talking about, but I'm just – I had to reminisce and ask you about it since since you actually were in that fraternity. It doesn't matter what where you were on the pole – you were in there and you wrote for them and that launched everything else for you too. So congratulations again on, on the book and future books, whatever else you get into, man, and, and appreciate you taking time to hop on this episode of Believe in Kentucky. Absolutely, man. The next one I'm hoping will be something around NBA in the 80s. So that's, that's, a, tease, that's a tease I'll leave you with. That'll work, man. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to it when you get started and, and get that one out to us as well. So, man, thanks again, Jake. Appreciate you hopping on this episode of Believe in Kentucky. Y'all rate, subscribe, review, retweet, post it on whatever social media you want to use it on. Tell your friends about it. And we'll do another episode next week. For Jake Fisher, this is Benny Hardy. This has been another episode of Believe in Kentucky presented by Bet Online. I just want to say thanks again to Jake Fisher for coming on the podcast. Be sure to check his book out, Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever. You can order it wherever you get your books now. Be sure to get your copy. Lots of good UK references in there as we talked about in the podcast. A couple other quick things as far as UK athletics are concerned. Uh, I said it the other day on my Cast Talk Wednesday podcast with, with Terry Brown. Remember when TB was on here a few episodes ago with us. Liam, if you had to take a poll, might be the most popular dude's name on the UK campus right now. We have Liam Cohen in here with the excitement that he brings uh, as he looks to uh, revitalize Kentucky's offense and provide more balance. But Liam Draxel on the men's tennis team, he's not going to take a back seat to any Liam right now. He's on his way to the Final Four, the number one overall seed on the men's side in singles for UK tennis. He's going to the Final Four to play a dude who's uh, from Florida. I think John Riffis is his name. He's the number six seed. So Liam Draxel is in the mix to bring another championship back to UK. So everybody root for Liam. He's, he's dropped the first set in a ton of his matches, but he comes back and wins the next two sets. They're best two out of three. So we hope he keeps that momentum going uh, as he gets to the final four. But disappointing note, UK baseball. They were down in Hoover this week for the SEC tournament in a position we talked about last week, needing to make some noise to to get to the SEC tournament and, and win some games to give themselves a chance to make an NCAA uh, bid. Didn't happen. They were the number 11 seed and played Florida. Started the first inning off on a good note. Had men on second and third. Unfortunately, it was a ground rule double, or the guy on third would have 
probably scored and got him a run on the board right off the bat. Second and third, and then they're not able to cash in. Three straight strikeouts. Florida goes up in their half of the inning. First pitch, boom, home run. Kentucky's immediately down one nothing. And then it was just kind of that one of those days. Kentucky had opportunities uh, to get runs, to cash in, and just weren't able to get that hit needed to take advantage. Um, Florida got three unearned runs in addition to that home run to start the game. Florida wins 4-1. to one. So Kentucky's season now, unless they get a miracle and, and get a bid to the NCAA, uh, comes to an end. They're 29-23 and 23 and just very disappointing to see it in that way, especially after starting five and one in the conference, you know, beating up on Auburn and Missouri teams that, you know, beat who you're supposed to beat and stack some wins because you know, the tough teams were coming up, the Vanderbilts, Tennessee teams of that nature, Florida, and to see them stumble down the stretch and, and lose the momentum they started with early on. Uh, you hated to see that. Had to sweep Notre Dame back to back right after getting beat down to win their region. They did that. Now they move on to Tuscaloosa to play Alabama in the Super Regional. Alabama is very good. Kentucky's 43 and 14. Alabama's like 48 and 7. Kentucky already played them earlier. One, two out of three. And going to Tuscaloosa. You're familiar with that. You've been there. They're in the conference. It beats having to go out to Oregon and play Oregon or Washington or go out to the West Coast, which usually always seems to happen. So not as much travel and distance involved. A familiar opponent, a very good opponent, a tough task, but you definitely have to like the cast chances. So just a couple other little things going on here um, on the UK athletics front. As we get through summer and get to fall camp for football and things of that nature. So uh, enjoy bringing another episode to you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Rate, subscribe, review, follow Believe in Kentucky on TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all those social media areas. Believe in Kentucky. Share the podcast. Tell your friends all about it. And come back next week for another episode of Believe in Kentucky on the Believe Podcast Network presented by Bet Online. Have a good week, everybody. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube